Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, if you're taking notes in your journal today, we're on page 21, week four of our sermon series, Teach Us to Pray. As I mentioned, we've gone through the Lord's Prayer and we've been able to reflect on it together as we begin today. I'm going to invite you, would you read it alongside with me as we have it on the screen, uh, line by line. Let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we'll leave it right there. We're going to jump to Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And it says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So as we leave the service today, we're going to be having some uh, buckets of oil for you to douse yourself in to prepare for this week's fast. Um, Fasting. Fasting is a, it's a, it's an odd practice for us to even consider within our modern context. And, and part of the reason I think it's odd is just from the simple fact, like we love food. Like I love a good meal. I, I remember the first time that I finally got a little bit of money in my bank account and I was in a great situation, was in, in university, mom and dad had taken care of so many different things and I was working a little part-time job and I had a little bit of money in my bank account and what did I spend all that money on? Food. It's like a little brunch with friends in the morning, maybe grab some lunch afterwards, uh, second lunch, second brunch maybe, and then you grab a little bubble tea a little bit later in the day, and then you end up sticking around to study, and you guess what? Oh, you got to eat out and grab some dinner as well. And then it's like you just end up using all your money on food. We're all guilty of it to some degree. And even now, uh, being married, Adrienne and I, if someone was to ask us, what do you like to do for fun or what do you do recreationally? We're kind of like, we just like to eat. We like to go to different restaurants and try different cuisines and go to, we don't like to go to the same restaurant twice if we can and we're going on a date night, we're trying something different. We love to eat and we live in a place and a time where everything is at our fingertips, every cuisine at the highest level and the most speciality that we could have desired. It's all right there for us and we are grateful for it. And who can really say no to that? Not many of us, not, not myself. We love to eat. And so this idea of fasting really doesn't seem to, to coincide with our day-to-day or how we even interact with the world. And it's interesting to see how that even plays out in our society. We have this like economic paradigm of, of supply and demand, and it is even illustrated in the way that we treat food. There is like this high demand for it, and therefore an even higher supply. Sure, there's an increase in population in the lower mainland, and people are making the move out here, and uh, families are growing, but that 
doesn't mean we should be having as many new food options and restaurants simultaneously. All of it is, it all plays together. It all feeds together. And there is a difference that we're now seeing. And we have to recognize for us, even as followers of Jesus, that there's a difference between appetite and hunger. Because the way that food has kind of taken over a lot of our, our mind and our usage of it and how we interact. I'm not trying to degrade the usage of food as a need and a baseline enjoyment. That's not what we're talking about here. But there is a problem and a critical issue with the amount of consumption, the culture around, around it, the widening social imbalance, the pure waste of it. They say that most families throw away about $1,500 worth of just brand new food every single year. And there's this confusing attack in the midst of this conversation of food and our body image. There, there's a dissonance between the way that our culture has an availability and elevation of food and that which we perceive as successful and good when we look at things like uh, our physicality or, or, or sex as a whole and the way that our culture looks at it. All of it seems to be in conflict with one another because ultimately it isn't food that is the root of the issue. We face something different. Our, our desires are something that sit much deeper. For us as a church, we often talk about this idea of disordered desires that we face. How we're programmed in our modern age to normalize excess and indulgence and to make pleasure the primary pursuit. It's a really normalized and promoted idea. We live by phrases like the heart wants what the heart wants. The result is that we find ourselves in this wilderness of competing desires. In the language of the New Testament, there is this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit. And in Freudian thought, there is this idea of the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle is decision-making that works towards immediate gratification and avoidance of pain in order to satisfy biological or psychological needs. This is this principle that has been seen within an adolescent context, but more and more is within our grand adult narrative. And I don't have to actually tell you about a Freudian narrative about a pleasure principle for, for you to look at a lot of the things around us and be like, yeah, we are just trying to get what we want when we want it. As quick as we can, we want the things that we want. It's, it's, it's the pursuit of I want to do whatever feels good in the moment. And this impacts our relationship with food, but also with people, with ourselves, with our family systems, our financial decisions, and our faith journey. All of it is impacted by this manner in which we have become formed. And if that's the case, if this is a paradigm that runs across our culture, no wonder fasting doesn't just seem unappealing. Fasting seems weird. Fasting can seem inhumane. Our text today, the one that we read from verses 16 to 18, it, it is this idea of talking about the hypocrisy of spiritual practice in the public sphere. Don't present yourself as being holier than others in the midst of what you're doing, but to commit yourself in spiritual practice to relationship to God. And it's a great idea and it's a good concept, but in many ways we can't even interact with it because the idea of fasting isn't even on our radar. Forget 
people knowing that I'm fasting. The idea of fasting at all isn't in our consciousness. Fasting has become a lost practice in our modern Western church. Richard Foster says, the practice of abstaining from food from, for spiritual purposes is fasting. So if that's the practical definition, that's one thing. But I want to talk about what's really happening. Why does it matter? And the most blaring question for many of us, where do I even begin? Those are the three questions we're going to engage with today, and we'll see what Jesus has to say about it, both in the text and in his life. So what is fasting? Despite fasting being one of the most abused and least used of all the spiritual practices throughout Christian history, for millennia, it was a core practice for following Jesus. Throughout the Bible, we can see it taking place. The first story we read about Jesus' life is him fasting and praying in the wilderness, just like Moses and Elijah. And the central characters of the New Testament continued this practice, as, as did the early church, in which they fasted twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. It was a little bit of a rejection of the practice of the, of the Pharisees were fasting on other days, and so we, they said we're going to fast on these days instead. It was, everyone's a little bit fickle about those things, but they were fasting, and they were making it part of their regular practice. It was part of who they were and how they were being formed. But it's not until quite recently that it's fallen out of favor. And like I said, it really comes as no surprise in a space of luxury and indulgence and addiction and excess where the desires of our body have come to hold power over us. The first time I fasted, I was in my late teens, and I remember that I did not do it well, and I basically just thought about food all the time. It wasn't a, a particularly holy fast by any means. I remember it was, it was to the point where I was like literally just watching YouTube videos about food. It, it's ridiculous, but it's quite literally what was going on. Just like sitting during my, my dinner time, and I'm not eating food, but I am consuming Gordon Ramsay cooking up like the three best things to put on your steak sandwich. Like, I don't know, whatever it was. It wasn't good. And, and, I, and what I'm trying to say is I, I didn't really know how to fast. And then, in fact, fasting became something quite different. It just became another means in which I became a slave to my desire. And I wasn't radically shaped by that initial experience, and at least not in, in a way of substance. But it was something that I had to learn what was actually taking place within me as I entered into this idea of fasting. So before we can name why we fast, I think we need to name why we don't fast. There's a tension that exists in this idea of fasting between Christ-like formation, humanistic legalism, and mundane apathy. It all kind of sits at different points of the spectrum, and we find ourselves kind of leaning one way or the other in different points of our journey. And we can really hold unhealthy assumptions about fasting. 
Fasting, first and foremost, is not about your health. It's not about your diet. It's not the purpose of it. Those are good things. To diet or have restricted eating habits, those are not bad things, but it is not fasting. Uh, it's, it's not a way to make God accept us. The grace of God that is offered to us through who Jesus is and all that he has done does not suddenly become limited in our day-to-day existence that we need to now fast in order to garner more of it. God's grace is unending. His, his love is unconditional. We are not trying to gain more of it in the midst of fasting. Fasting is about our response to God, not his response to us. It falls in the same vein as as a spiritual practice of prayer in which we're not trying to, to manipulate and motivate God to do something on our behalf. We're trying to find ourselves in a place of deeper communion with God. And so we need to shift our thinking of, of the practice, but also who God is. And number three, uh, Fasting is not a way to force God's hand to action. I've heard it said said this, and this is going to sound silly. God doesn't hear you better when you're not eating. And it can sound silly, but I've for sure thought that before. But because I haven't eaten for X amount of meals, God is going to hear me better. That we somehow think that God is really attentive to me in this moment. And it's true that when we fast, there is some ways in which the noisy aspects of life are stripped away. But the belief system is still distorted. And another thing is that you're not trying to buy this extra lottery ticket in the midst of fasting. This is not the way in which we treat our relationship with God. Sometimes we can have really healthy understanding of different practices or paradigms within our faith. But when it comes to aspects that are like fasting, we see the ways in which these really harmful ideas seep into our idea of God. Know this at a baseline. Jesus, he came to find you and I and bring us into relationship with God. He did not come to somehow satisfy himself, to make him feel better, to to fulfill the things that we want ultimately. He He brought us back into relationship with God and it did so unconditionally and without his desire for us to somehow fulfill his need later on. It is unchanging. It is always present, the love and the grace that God has for us. Fasting is not a means in which to motivate God, to manipulate God, to garner more attention from God, or just to get ourselves to feel healthier. Fasting is a response to God. It's a response of revelation of who God is. And just like other spiritual practices, it's a means in which we commune with God. We deepen our relationship. Fasting within the biblical framework of the Bible shows us that there is a couple different ways that it can happen. It can happen uh, involuntarily. There's an ancient custom of Yom Kippur that takes place on an annual basis within the calendar of, of the Jewish people. And it's a day of atonement in which the people are required to fast in order to prepare themselves for a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time of forgiveness. And it was a very much a preparatory practice. 
The second one of, of this idea of being a, a voluntary one is that it was something took place that was significant, a significant event within the community, whether it was a death that took place, a plague that took place, or something of extreme effect or impact that they then responded to to find their, their, themselves in a place of health and relationship with God. It was, it was a fast in response. A couple things to note before we dive into why we fast. Uh, in the text, Jesus holds an assumption. Within the Judaic tradition, there was three practices that were ongoing on a consistent basis. Generosity, prayer, and fasting. Fasting, even within the language of this, Jesus does not say, well, if you happen to fast, make sure that you do it this way. He says, when you fast. There is an assumption of the practice taking place. And this was very much true of the people of Israel. There was a, a normalization of that practice. And this was true of the early church that followed, like I said, Wednesdays and Fridays. This was a manner in which they developed their relationship with God. Fasting was a regular staple for both the Jewish people and the early church. Scott McKnight, he talks about the ways in which we're prone to fast. And he calls that there's two different ways. Instrumental fasting, meaning that we're trying to do something that is going to benefit whether ourselves, whether physically or spiritually. And then there's an idea of responsive fasting, where it's a whole body response. Scott McKnight used this language of body talk. The idea that you don't have a body, you are a body. And simultaneously, you're more than just a body, you're a spirit. There's an inter integrated being that is present in this practice of fasting. All this to say, when we engage in a practice like this, we need to have an idea of what we're doing before we're doing it so that we don't fall into the the confines of our own imagination of it, and simultaneously we don't make it so legalistic that it becomes more about what we're doing it, what we're doing versus whom we're doing it for. Because the power of fasting is not in the practice. The power of fasting is in the person to whom we are committing the time to. And it might seem simple, but we have to differentiate that in our process. When we look at the Bible, there are a variety of texts that use food as the baseline, as the foreground of what is actually taking place. Like I said, fasting is less to do about the food and more to do with our desires. When you go to Genesis chapter 2, we see the temptation of the serpent and the offering of the fruit. But ultimately, the fruit is not the issue, but it's the temptation of redefining good and evil. To trust your own instinct, to place your desire before God's guidance, the voice of self-actualization versus trust in God and his vision for human flourishing. That was the temptation. Ignatius says that sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and after 40 days of prayer and fasting, he was definitely hungry. 
and the tempter leads him with this temptation of food. And the way that Matthew writes the story and the way that Jesus responds, theologians are fairly, they agree on this, that it's a reflection of what takes in Genesis 1, takes place in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In fact, Jesus is fulfilling all the ways in which humanity has fallen short. And where we, where we fell short, where we were defeated, Jesus was victorious. And in doing so, he opens up a whole new world in which we might find relationship with God. There's, there's so much to the connection between those stories. But how did Jesus succeed where Adam and Eve and so many others had failed before? Well, we see that there's this foreground of practice. Solitude is present. Prayer is present and fasting. And after fasting for 40 days, here's the revelation that I think we're meant to grab hold of as we enter in. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus, Jesus was not weaker, but he was stronger than ever. Was it the practice that made him stronger? No. Let's not give power to the wrong place. Jesus exemplified that the power was found in his feasting of the spirit that supplemented Jesus' fasting from food. After fasting, he was hungry, but he was at the height of his, his, his being, his identity, his power. And then and only then did he have the authority and the power and control over his body to take the tempter on toe-to-toe and come out the other side. When you think about fasting, don't make food the focus. Fasting is about following Jesus. Fasting is a response to the Father. Or as Willard says, fasting is feasting in our Lord and doing his will. So what is actually taking place and why do we fast? It's really easy to lose sight of the why behind fasting. So I'm going to use a little bit of a framework from John Mark Comer on why we fast. And he talks about three things. Starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. He talks about prayer. And he talks about solidarity with the poor as the why behind fasting. Galatians 5 verses 13 to 18 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. A running theme in the writings of Paul is this idea of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And let's quantify. Flesh is not trying to minimize or stigmatize the idea of the body. This has happened within Christian history, even within the Middle Ages. There was this idea of demonizing our bodies and, and self-flagellation and, and this pain that is meant to take place in this idea of the flesh. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about flesh in a different manner. He's talking about the flesh that speaks to our desires. And in, our, and in particular, our disordered desires. You and I have desires. In everything that we do, in life that we live, we have desires. 
And so often, even when they are good desires, they are disordered. Desires for food, for drink, for sleep, for sex, for self-preservation, none of which are bad, but they have been put out of order. And in turn, because they are out of order, they have taken control of our lives, our minds, and our bodies, our whole person. And in the battle with our flesh, we have become its slave, not its master. Paul in Romans 8 writes that the mind is set on the flesh, that, that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. So our minds have been infected from what is true and what is not true. What is freedom and what is slavery, what is to be human, what's not to be human. And as we go on living our lives Slaves to our desires, what happens is we become normalized and living as if this is just the way it is. This is, this is how I'm designed. Because this is all I've ever known. And we've bought into this lie from culture that our disordered desires is just what it is to be human. But so much of the biblical narrative is renewal of what it is to be human. That when we look at Jesus, we see the rightly ordered desires of the heart, desires of the kingdom, desires for others, desires for holiness. These are the things that Jesus puts forward. He doesn't mitigate all the other desires. He just puts them in the right place. So practices like fasting are meant to reorder our desires according to the way of Jesus. To see in the way our hearts have been rended and broken and distraught and disordered and find wholeness and healing and rightness in relationship with the one who shows us the way. Here's a thought that I have found incredibly helpful when considering our desires. In moments of conflicts or moments of stress, each day, we're going to feel a strong rise of desire. Adriana's going to say something to me, and maybe it's going to hit the wrong spot. Or I'm going to feel irritated about a conversation that's happened earlier in the day, and I'm going to respond poorly. There's going to be these moments in our days where we have this really strong desires anger, frustration, uh, maybe we have this even this urge to like swipe at someone, this urge to yell at someone, these strong desires that rise up within us, but your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. So in the moment, your strongest desire may be, may be to yell or it might be lust or it might be to hit someone in anger, but that's not your deepest desires because deeper than that, underneath it all, when you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, we're not left on our own. We're not left to our own devices, but we're filled by the power of the Spirit to live a life that's beyond what we had previously been part of, previously thought of, previously seen before, and our spirit is in contact with the Spirit of God, and when that's the case there is a reforming of it that takes place there's a renewing of it that takes place that actually makes our deepest desires in line with God and we're waiting for the day in which all things are made new and we can be one and in, in relationship with Jesus and we're in this awkward in-between we still have our flesh and its set of desires this mixed bag of reality and what Paul is saying is that freedom is not the ability to do whatever we want. 
for Paul, that is actually slavery. It's actually slavery to our desires. And Jesus would have serious issues with our definition of freedom. We define freedom as the ability to do whatever we want when we want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And we've believed this lie, that somehow we can live our lives doing whatever we want, whenever we want, and somehow our lives don't impact the people around us. For Paul, for Jesus, that is not freedom, that's slavery. Freedom is the ability to live in the Spirit, to have your Spirit transformed by the Spirit of Jesus and to want what the Spirit wants. To have your desires reordered and to actually will what the Spirit wants in and through your life. When Paul says, uh, when Paul talks about this and we put this in combination with the language that Jesus uses, that we're supposed to take up our cross and follow him in Paul's language to crucify not gratify, not feed, not indulge, but to put to death, to starve the flesh, and instead feed the Spirit. This is fasting. To starve the desires that are disordered within us and feed the Spirit, to be in relationship with God, to give time and presence and attention to God so that our desires become reordered in alignment with the Spirit and we might experience what it is to actually find freedom and fullness of life, to not be slaves to the desires that hold us down. How do we do this? One of the ways is fasting. When we use language like repentance, repentance is this idea of, of turning around. I've been going one way and I'm turning myself to go another way. Fasting is almost this form of repentance where I'm not just thinking about going another way. I'm not just saying something that's going to move me in another direction. I'm actually taking my whole body, body, spirit, mind, and I'm turning myself to another way. This is what's taking place in this space of fasting. Sometimes we can make the mistake of connecting the idea of fasting as simply building our willpower muscle. And it, and it is a way to grow in this idea of self-mastery and self-control. Self-control is ability to say no to something and self-discipline, which is ability to say yes to something. This all comes in connection with the idea of fasting but here's the thing eventually eventually each and every one of us we can have as much willpower as we want but we will run into a moment where our willpower fails whether it is to an addiction whether it is to a family hurt or trauma whether it is to just the day-to-day -day realities of life our willpower will eventually be found lacking does not matter how long we work that muscle this is not about self-actualization or self-preservation or self-empowerment this is about feeding the spirit to be Come one with God to be one who is serving and living and pursuing a heart that has God working in our lives. So that when we do find those moments in which we are falling short, it's not our willpower that we turn to, but the presence of God that we have become known to abide in. 
Richard Foster writes that fasting reveals the things that control us. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. It's a great marketing tool to get you to start fasting. All this to say, the practice is not easy. Worship team, you can join me at the front. You and I have been given desires that are good. And we've been given practices that are meant to find our desires, put in the right order so that we can live into a reality where our lives flourish. There is a lie that has been spoken to us over and over again that if you want to live the best life that you can live, you got to do it the way that you want to do it. That self-actualization, self-fulfillment is the best way to enjoy life today. And the reality of it, both in the narrative of Scripture and in the examples of lives around us, is that we will fall short when we rely upon ourselves. So a practice like fasting is meant to reorder our heart, to set our attention, to posture ourselves to receive the goodness of God in relationship with Him. I would invite you, we're going to put some information both on the website, we'll make it available a couple different avenues to look at some of these other reasons of why we fast. Solidarity with the poor. When we fast, we, we can invoke this compassion that we might be lacking. To pray, we might be looking for uh, a need in our life, but it's always a response to what God has already done. It's a revelation of what's taking place. I want to invite you, though, where do we even start? I would actually say that for adolescents, for those in their teens, they shouldn't be engaging in the practice of fasting in, their, in this modern age. I think we have such a, a difficult idea of already what body image and our relationship with food is that we need to have a sense of wisdom in how we approach it. But if you're in a place that you would like to engage and even just dip your toes into the waters of fasting, this is what I would encourage you. Start with a meal. And don't pick breakfast because you already skip it. Pick a meal that you can then commit that time towards prayer. So if it's lunch, if it's dinner, and maybe it's just one, one meal a day throughout the week, maybe you pick one day this week and you're like, I'm going to go from breakfast to dinner. And each time where I would be eating, I'm committing to prayer. We'll be sending out those prayer requests that have come in. And we've, we've made them anonymous. And we would invite you. That could be something you're praying with throughout the day. Maybe it's just a self time of self-reflection and listening to what the Holy Spirit might be leading you into. Or it's just following along with the prompts that we provided in the prayer guide. There's a variety of different avenues. But I would invite you, pick a spot if you feel like it is a healthy step for you to take. 
to abstain from food. And if that is not a space where you can engage in, that's okay. And I would relay the challenge in a different way then. Find something in your life that you can abstain from. And it's not just abstaining for the sake of abstaining. It's abstaining from something that you can then commit time of prayer and connection with God towards. So if you find yourself on doom scrolling before bed every night, maybe that's the thing that needs to be put away so that you can commit to prayer. If you, if you find that uh, things that are good but are consuming your life, maybe it's, maybe it's like you go to the gym and you do it far too much. I don't do that. But if it's something for you, find space where you can commit to prayer. I, I want you to find a place in your life where you can make space for the Spirit to become part of your day more than it already is. Often, our biggest challenge with God is not that He isn't speaking, it's that we're not listening. It's we're not making space. We're not, we're not looking for all the ways He's at work around us. As we said last week, pray where you're at. doesn't need to be a complex prayer. Pray where you're at. Fasting can be a place in which you make space for that. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we offer all of our hearts to you. We're grateful for the ways in which you have shown us your goodness and your grace, for the ways in which you have already fought for our hearts well before we ever deserved it, we, even in moments where we would have called ourselves your enemy. Thank you, O oh God that your grace goes before us, that your life is the revelation that we respond to. So in this space this morning, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of our minds disordered desires, desires that seem to run rampant over our lives and hold us hostage, that we don't sit in any sort of freedom, that in fact we're slaves to that desire. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would just give us the courage to name that right now. The disordered desire to which you are a slave to, I just pray that there is freedom that's found this morning. Whether it is a good thing or a bad thing, if it is above the one thing that is Jesus, it is not in the right place. So we ask, oh God, that you would work in a supernatural way to heal our desires today. In a lifetime of disordered desires, and disordered reality. We know that it's going to take a miracle to heal our hearts, to move it in the right direction. So give us courage this morning to open our hearts to you, to ask where things have gone out of order and ask you in to set it right. find freedom in this place this morning. That we would not be slaves to our desires, not slaves to fear, not slaves to our past, which have hurt, but we would find freedom in our relationship with you. Let this morning be a response to revelation response to who you are, oh God.
and for those who are engaging on this journey this week to fast in whatever capacity it is. I pray that they find you. That they might know you in a deeper way. That you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.